You're listening to One Good Take, the podcast that delves into the nitty-gritty of film development and distribution and explores the often elusive chemistry that brings the film to life. In this episode of One Good Take, I talk with producer-manager Kristen Lucas. Kristen is based out of Massachusetts but has strong ties with Hollywood. Her independent film company, Goldilocks Productions, goes with the tagline, We Tell Stories About Badass Women. We'll be talking about her short film, Snowflake, that won Best Narrative Short at the Los Angeles Women's International Film Festival just a few years ago. We also talk about her approach to finding new talent and developing new projects, as well as her own view on the opportunities she sees emerging from the global pandemic. Here's that take. Hey, Chris, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks so much for inviting me to come chat with you. Very good. So you're a film producer, a manager to a roster of actors with Bohemia Group, and more recently a podcaster. Yeah, I'm kind of doing it all. And that's that's, that's just the beginning. I, I'm a event producer. Uh, uh, yeah, it's pretty much multi-hyphenate squared times. I don't even know how many. I was at my desk at 6.15 a.m. this morning, like ready to start my day. So yeah, a little, a little crazy. Um, but when you love what you do, you know, I don't want to be all, you know, pithy and all, but when you love what you do, it, it's not work. You know, I, I was never at my desk at 6.15 in the morning when I worked in corporate America. That's for sure. Um, but it's a different, it's just a different vibe. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a different thing, isn't it? You have a passion for telling stories about badass women. You're developing a slate to projects with your own company, Goldilocks Productions. We might just say your USP is the empowerment of women with some fun. <laughs> it's part of your brand, we could say. Yeah, well, uh, I'm a girl. No, <laughs> don't want to state the obvious. Um, but no, actually, I have a, a funny story to tell about that. Um, so I just naturally kind of fell into that lane. It really all started with Snowflake, uh, which was the feature film that I wanted to write. So I am... Also, technically, I went to school for screenwriting, although I do not write anymore. I wrote one feature. I went to grad school for this project called Snowflake, which I know we're going to get into. We're going to talk about the short that I did end up producing, but it's been on almost a 20-year journey from the moment I had the idea. I actually went to grad school when my son was four years old. I was a single mom. I worked in corporate marketing, um, and my parents thought I was crazy. Because I went to school, you know, I went to work all day. And then a couple times a week, I went into Boston and I went to grad school at Emerson. And then I had to write. And it was just one of those things where my mom, I remember the day I called her and I said, I'm going to grad school. She's like, you haven't given up on that film stuff yet? And I was like, no. You know, I took a little break while I was having my son and, you know, figuring some life stuff out. And I, I took it back up. And so that was the beginning of my snowflake journey. And, um, yeah, so that was kind of the beginning of the girl thing. And then one of my second projects that's in development is actually loosely based on some stuff that happened with some friends of mine and I on a girl's night out. So when you write from the truth and you are inspired by the people around you and you're a woman and you have badass friends and situations, you, you kind of just land there and we'll get into the night that I landed myself in the emergency room after I had a weed brownie, but I don't want to, you know, say too much. Um, but really that was the inspiration of, you know what? 
I've got some fun stories to tell. And that was really the inspiration. And so then I kind of went down that path. Now, this summer, uh, I met someone. This is the part I can't give away too much. But the main character of this documentary that I'm working on happens to be a man. And I remember the day he told me his story, his story was just too good. I, I I called one of the people I was working with and I was like, I know this doesn't fit into the tagline. We tell stories about badass women. His story is just too good not to tell. So that was the first time I kind of broke that. And it's been awesome because at the end of the day, we're filmmakers, we're storytellers, good stories, good characters. That's what we're here for. So I'm not going to be so fussy that I'm not going to tell stories about amazing men and things that they do. But, you know, we're going to lean in hard on the female stuff because it's what we do. And it's what, you know, we want to, that's our art to give to the world is to tell the stories through, through those eyes and those perspectives. And I'm just blessed to be able to have crossed paths with so many people that have great stories um, to share. So it's just been an awesome journey. When I talk about, we tell stories about badass women, that's really in any genre. For right now, in this stage of my career, I'm not looking to do $30 million features because that's just not realistic. So right now, uh, we're focused on looking for contained stories. Those tend to fall into thriller and horror, but that's not the only place that they land. So really, we've been reading a ton of scripts. So I am a stage 32 exec. I don't know if you're familiar with that platform. And I've done a couple of pitch sessions and some consultations with some writers through that platform. And it's been amazing. I was really impressed with the quality of the work and the stories because for years I've been getting cold emails and those scripts never panned out. And so I've been I've actually had to say no more because my, you know, I just, I don't want to tell people that I want to develop their script. It's just not realistic for us to to do all those projects. So right now we're kind of focusing in on a couple really focused, contained stories with some, you know, we have some actors and some influencers that we're working with and it's all kind of the bigger picture. It's not just about the movie. It's about the team and what we're trying to do with everyone. So being very strategic and intentional with our choices. Um, cause that's, it's a movie business. This isn't, you know, we're not here to just take investors money and not return it and be careless. I'm here to, you know, build. They need their return uh, on investment. Yeah. And it, this is a business. And I think that a lot of people don't think of it that way. So I really have the lens when I'm reading a script, is this marketable first, right? Is this marketable? Does somebody want to see this world? Do I want to see this world? Am I interested in this character? We actually have our own version of our coverage sheet where at the end, it's like level of badass one to five. And my readers, they rate the, the scale. And if it's not a four or a five, it's not ready for us um, because we're really trying to do breakthrough stories, you know, that are unique and original and people haven't seen before. I think it's... Yeah, and with an issue that... Yeah. An issue that opens up debate. I think this might be a good point to discuss your film, Snowflake. You've got some strong issues going on there. Would you like to give us a rundown on the plot and tell us how you came to make the film? Yeah, so I have to go back to grad school uh, in 2003 because... That was the reason, that story was the reason I went to grad school. So 
uh, one day I was walking the the halls at the Blockbuster video and I kind of had this idea about why aren't there stories about women in this area of hip hop. And then I kind of went to, well, what about a white woman in that world? And this was pre-Eminem. I was actually in grad school this semester that Eight Mile came out. And I was dead. I was <clears throat> devastated. I was like, oh, I have no movie now. Um, but really that story still needed to be told. So then many years later, I actually, so I wrote the feature, sorry, wrote the feature, did a little development, you know, moved on to other things while we were pushing it. And then years later, I want to say it was 2014, I was at a pageant where I was asked to be a judge and out came this young girl on the stage and she was my character. She was the character I thought up in my head, but she was in the body of a seven-year-old. She was rapping and all this energy. And I remember that day just thinking like, wow, it's pretty unique for a creator who had this idea on her own, wasn't inspired by anything. It wasn't me. To all of a sudden, this girl was standing in front of me. So I reached out. I've tracked her down um, through the pageant. A week later, I sat down with her and her parents and I said, listen, I have this idea for the story. So I kind of reimagined it and brought it back to a younger girl because it was just too good of an opportunity. So when the original character was in college, she was working at the radio station at the school, doing a little bit more poetry slam, a little more fish out of water story. This version, still the same characters, just like what was she like when Only she younger. was younger? Yeah, like, but when we ha- when we got to the point of how what what is this? Because we didn't even know, right? It was like, okay, we're making a movie, but we don't have a script, but we have an actress. It was a little like backwards. Um, but we put our heads together. We knew the world, and it was it was more just kind of like, what would this character have been like when she was seven or eight, and what would she have been experiencing to kind of get to the place we already knew she was going in our mind. And so that naturally kind of went to middle school and expressing, you know, expressing yourself and not knowing who you are. I didn't set out to make a a movie with a bullying theme. That was not, I thought I was making a movie about a white girl who raps, but naturally when you put it in that space, there's a hint of it. We didn't go as hard as we could have, because that's just not what it was about. But if there wasn't any presence of it, that would have also been probably like, yeah, you wouldn't have not had authentic. an antagonist, would you? Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. it just worked that without giving too much away, um, that there was that world of, you know, being misunderstood and not fitting in and all the things. And and the crazy thing is I didn't realize is it's such a universal story. Adults love love it, kids love it, because we can all relate in some way, shape, or form. We don't all have hip hop in our lives, but we have something, whether it was the kid that got made fun of on the baseball field because he didn't make the team or because his shoe fell off or whatever. Like everybody can relate to either having experienced it directly, witnessing it, you know, happen to someone else, have a brother or a sister. And so it just kind of became universal and using her and her voice and her journey to kind of stand up to the bullies and even her dad and, and, everybody and just show them who she was. So it was pretty cool. So the girl at the pageant, that was Ava Freitas? Yeah, Ava Freitas. Um, So I met her when she was seven. We shot the film when she was nine. Then we started festivals in 2017. 
The first festival we went to, we won Best Narrative Short at the Los Angeles International Women's Film Festival, which was amazing because we were up against some pretty, you know, good competition there. I was surprised and happy and, you know, I didn't have any expectations. It was more just, it was a proof of concept. It was a calling card film. Um, I made sure that I was the sole producer. I self-funded it. I pulled every favor in the book. I negotiated every, you know, this is not some unique story, but it's been interesting because when I've shown it and it's, you know, gotten pitched to some pretty interesting people through my network, um, people always want to know, well, what was your budget? And I always say, well, what do you think my budget was? And usually it's about 10 times the number they guess and the number that's my real number is really different. The production value, the the number of people. I had a crew of 30 people. Yeah, and loads of extras. Never mind anything else. It's almost a whole school, isn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah, the, <laughs> the credits at the end, they just go on for like miles. Um, but no, I was really blessed with the people that came through. I mean, not a lot of people, I think a handful of people were paid something. And a lot of those people were there just because they believed in me. They believed in Ava. They believed in the project. And I was so grateful to have the amazingly talented crew that I had and the cast. Like those kids, we didn't have not one rehearsal, not one. And they came to set so professional and just slayed the whole thing. It was really awesome. It took us five days to shoot the whole thing. So, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Your original story was with an adult. You then found this girl, Ava. You made the short when she was nine. Do you have any plans to develop this as a feature with the same actress or maybe a different age bracket, say 15 to 16, so you have more freedom to explore the bullying theme? I mean, you might want to create a stronger antagonist, for instance, and you could do that with an older girl. Yeah, well, you just opened up a whole Pandora's box. So, actually... Uh, we have a whole universe for Snowflake. Um, so there's actually a children's book that is coming out called Follow Your Voice that was done during the pandemic. Uh, about a year ago, we were asked to actually kick off a summer reading program at a library virtually with the film. And I said to myself, well, that's a shame I don't have a children's book. And the more we thought about it and talked about it, it was something that we did. And so the final touches on the illustrations are being done. I found a team and that's all happened. Then after we did that, we were like, huh, maybe it could be an animated series too. So we've been working on that and that's happening because in an animated series, nobody grows up and animation is hot as ever because of the pandemic. And I've got some connections and I'm getting a meeting with somebody pretty <laughs> high up in the world of animation. So we'll see. Um, and I think it's a unique world where, you know, obviously we develop different characters and a diff slightly different storyline, but Jesse is the main character and they all have the theme of don't judge a book by its cover, right? Um, you have the white girl who can rap. You might have, uh, can't give too much away, but, you know, other characters that are doing things that you may not expect them to do. Um, and really just kind of leveraging this little short film who could into this whole other world. And then also, because it was done as a proof of concept for a feature, we still also have the live action feature and or short, uh, like 
limited series or or who knows what, you know what I mean? It, it could be so many things. That's the cool part about it is everybody that sees it can see it in all the different things. My actress, Ava, is now 14 and is a freshman in high school. So you could argue we could level that up or age it up to high school. Bullying still an issue there. There could be some other social issues brought in. So it really can be anything. Um, and we're exploring all of them to give you the answer, I think. Uh, you know. Yeah, one IP, different media channels. From movie to kids book to TV series, maybe even a video game. Maybe it's my marketing background. That's maybe that's yeah, maybe that's, that's why it, I amplify it all, right? right? Um so yeah, it's been but it wasn't intentional. So that's the other thing that I would say to people is follow the journey of wherever it goes and takes you. Had I decided in 2003, I think I'm going to make a movie about a young girl, then I'm going to do a children's book. Now we're talking about, oh, we could probably do a coloring book too, because all you have to do is strip the color away. Why not? You know, and then it's, it's IP. I also had an idea and I had a conversation with a director, a female director in Canada, because I, I have a feeling that there's a way I don't, I just haven't figured it out yet. How do I take that story of Jesse and put it in, say, another country where bullying is still an issue, expression is still a thing, but let's just say an Indian girl in her country dealing with what Jesse dealt with, but in her world and reshoot it like and and do it over and over and over again because one of the things that we found is we had started taking it to schools and getting paid by schools and by like the the people and it's different in every city but the people who yeah. actually work on like the anti-bullying programs and we were getting invited to schools we would show up show the movie do the thing Q and A and because my actress was also a victim of bullying, it was really impactful for the kids to have access to her and to have these conversations. And so again, organically, I'm sitting here during COVID thinking, well, wow, what a shame. So if there's any filmmakers out there that want to do a version of Snowflake in their country, please yeah, reach exactly. out. Because yeah. I, I think it's just a good message. Um, and this director in Canada was like, yeah, that's interesting She's like, let's talk about that because she's like, I could see it being done in the French language yeah. and, and just really becoming a teaching tool um, to be more kind to each other, really. Yeah, it's a very broad message. It could be translated to any culture, really. It's a human story. So who knows? We'll see. And the title, Snowflake, how did you come by that? So I love that question because that, that was actually a question that I wasn't expecting when we did... Um, we did a big premiere for like family and friends with 300 people. And that night, of course, was like, ah, we, you know, rented out the lobby. I had a 30 foot gold carpet and we really wanted to celebrate um, everybody's achievements. And the first question was, why Snowflake? And I wasn't prepared for it in the moment, but it just quickly came to me. So the original movie that I wrote in grad school was called Snowflake, but that was more of a derogatory term that she was called in a scene where a character felt that she didn't belong in the studio with the people that were there. And it was a term that she was called in a derogatory way. And so when we reimagined it to the younger 
character, we talked about it. We were like, well, should it still be called Snowflake? And because there's no time that anyone says the word, you don't see it. There's no snow on the ground. And in that moment, as I stood at the premiere that night, I was like, no two snowflakes are alike. She's still a snowflake. I was like, whoa, brilliant. Uh, So yeah, so so it's still snowflake and it works. Um, The tagline is follow your voice, which is why that is kind of carrying through to the book because as we introduce characters and as the animated series goes on, if, if and when that happens, there's opportunity for everybody to, to have their story told. So it's, that's why it's more follow your voice on the theme. Will you be looking to create new stories that might stem from this idea? I, I think it has that potential. So we'll, we'll wait and let's, let's talk in a year and you have see, so many things see, on the go. see how far I've gotten or not. <laughs> and do you think you might work with the same director, Alana Smithy? Not sure about that name, but anyway. Uh no, no, actually, um, so funny story, the reason, so a lot of people don't know this, but some people do. So Alan Smithy is actually a name, you can Google search it, that Hollywood used to use, right? And so, yeah, this was also a question that was asked at our first LA screening. The guy was like, can you tell me why your movie was directed by Alana Smithy? And I was like, thank you so much for asking. Um, so the director in the end requested that her name be removed and which I won't get into. Um, but in the end, I didn't direct the movie, so I wasn't going to take credit. It was my character. I had a big part of it. I'm a creative producer, but I didn't direct the movie because everybody was like, well, why didn't you just take credit? I'm like, because I didn't direct the movie. I'm not it wasn't my choice. And so we decided to do the female version of Alan Smithy to just kind of acknowledge we had a female director and everyone kind of knows what that means and just kind of kept it that way. Ah, right. Yeah. Alan Smithy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Not everybody does, but those that know, know when they see it. And um, yeah. So so Alana is our female version. Sometimes it happens and then we went on to win awards and it was sad, but um, so yeah. Yeah, I did wonder about that. Oh, well. <laughs> I know of the male version, so I was <laughs> So wondering. no, I hope, I hope to mm. not be working with Alana Smithy ever again. Yeah, oh well, c'est la vie. So what are your goals for the next six months? Right now, um, through the whole lockdown and COVID time has been very busy because we weren't going anywhere. There was a lot of development, lots of script reading. Um, I also became a talent manager last June for Bohemia Group, which is based in LA. So I have a small roster of actor clients. Some of them are also writers, a little multi-hyphenate going on. Um, One of them actually wrote a children's book and it's also similarly to what I'm doing, potentially being turned into an animated series. So that's kind of exciting to watch because he's already at the stage where we're having some meetings with some people that are interested. So that's kind of cool. So I help actors consulting them and guiding them in their careers on that side. And then on the production side, I'm full speed ahead on some feature films that we're going to shoot this year. 
right? Lining up the investors, lining up all the right people, then having lots of conversations with directors, different directors. I will never make the mistake where I say I must have a female director and not anything against any situation. It's just, I've learned that it has to be the right director, right? It has to be the right person that gets the material. That's the right person to tell that story. Um, which I know is kind of weird for a girl who says she tells stories about badass women, but really it's about everybody. It doesn't have to be a woman that always tells a woman's story. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm talking to some different directors and figuring out which projects we want to do next, starting to work with some influencers, which is really fascinating because a lot of influencers also want to cross over onto the acting side, which is my superpower. I help people and I develop people. So then I can kind of merge all the worlds together, give my clients opportunities because I'm also a producer, which is a little different than when you're an agent because agents can't be producers, but managers can be, managers can be producers. Sorry, I don't want to screw that one up. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting the world of being a manager and producer, how that all works together. And everybody wins because if your manager isn't a producer, that's less opportunity. I've actually been able to get my clients opportunities that no one else even got because I have producer friends that call me and say, Hey, I know you have some talent. Can you have so-and-so and so-and-so submit for this? And they'd never even hit the breakdowns and other people didn't even get to audition for them. So I have another layer of power that I bring along to my clients and networking just a little differently. So it's fun. Yeah. Do you feel at all disadvantaged being a talent manager based in Massachusetts and not LA? Or is it not such an issue these days? Now we have Zoom, etc. The pandemic seems to have accelerated the virtual way of doing business, doesn't it? Opening things up perhaps for relative outsiders. Yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. I think, I mean, before COVID and the lockdown, I think there was a preference and an alienation, if you will, towards, oh, you're not in LA, you're just producer in Worcester, Massachusetts, right? Um, but now people are actually moving out of LA because they can, right? And, and oh, you can self-tape. Now that's the way of the world. I think we are going to come out on the other side with lots of changed behaviors and changed rules, which is good. It's really just knocking down walls and giving more people more opportunity. So I am, I, I say I'm bi-coastal because I do go back and forth. I hadn't been in quite a while. I spent eight days in LA last month. Um, so yeah, I, but I don't need to be there. I went for the documentary project that I was working on. But then of course I went to the office and I met with clients because I have clients in LA. I have clients in New York clients in Boston and clients in Atlanta. So I've been able to do even more networking than I could just as a producer, because now I'm getting to know agents and casting directors and photographers. Oh, an actor that needs headshots. Oh, I have a person in every city. That's the person that I like to work with, that I like to send clients to. I know they do good work because as a manager, I need clients who have good materials. They need good headshots. They need good footage. They need good marketing. So it's just, it's been a, a lot of learning. I was already in the lane, but to just really amp up the exposure and the interaction with 
people that normally I wouldn't be able to interact with has been pretty awesome. So, yeah. With your long format projects, do you have any lead cast or directors attached? Or are you still at script stage developing the ideas? Yeah, not yet. Yeah, I actually just set a meeting up for next, I think, Tuesday where, so I have a producing partner and then I have a reader who's also one of my writers. And the three of us are going to get together because I've done now three pitch sessions with Stage 32. And I think the first one, I was on for two and a half hours and every 10 minutes, another writer was pitching me. And then on top of that, there were a bunch of written pitches. So I think that if I was to guess in the last, since January, I've probably had a hundred, hundred people pitch. And the first pitch session, I had a hard time saying no, because there was so much good. But now I've been able to, to really figure out, okay, that project's really good, but I'm, I'm not ready for that type of project or a budget level or whatever. So then the second time I went in and specifically asked for contained stories because that's kind of what we're trying to come out of the gate with. So, and then I'm doing another one in April. So we're going to next week literally put up on the wall a board and just go through all of them and, and put them in a bucket. Like we like this, but that's for next year just so I can circle back with the writers. Cause I hated when I, when people reached out to me and kind of left me in limbo. So I always try to let them know, like stay in touch, touch base in six months or, or some sort of like next step, because that's the worst you years could go on and you're just waiting for people to get back to you. So I try to be super honest about, I really love your script or I really like you. I really think you're talented, some sort of feedback and that's, that's the best we can do. I mean, if I had billions of dollars, sure, there's, there's lots of movies I would make, but I have to be intentional right now with these lower budget, um, you know, a mill or under type range where we can do them really well. They don't have a ton of locations. They don't have a ton of characters. We can maybe get like a star or two, um, and really just kind of reverse engineering them right now for success. Uh, been spending some time in Clubhouse on the Clubhouse app and doing a lot of networking there. Uh, For those that don't know, Clubhouse is an iPhone invite-only app that's very, very much entertainment-driven. And at any given point, you can go in and hop into a room with casting directors and like senior executives, major players. The other day, I was sitting next to the director of the show, The Mighty Ducks, the remake on Disney. I was like, how am I sitting next to him? Because again, because of the pandemic and because people aren't hustling and bustling as much. I mean, they're still busy, but they're home. They're not spending two hours on the freeway. People are just more accessible. And with this app that's audio only, it's kind of like LinkedIn audio and it's 24 seven. It's just all, somebody's always on there talking. I've been able to really go in and be intentional and, and network with some awesome people that I didn't have that skill or that connect. Um, so that's been really awesome too. Yeah. Sounds good. And this afternoon you've got a meeting with, uh, some people talking about an animation project. Is that right? Oh yeah. So that's actually, uh, for one of my clients, um, that has the, he wrote a children's book that's being looked at for an animated series. So we've been, uh, kind of talking about that for, uh, a bunch of months, but today is actually like everybody's got to get cute and we're getting on a Zoom meeting uh, with the showrunner that's interested and 
the agents and some other folks from the team. And so some of them I haven't met yet because it's always just been on the phone. Uh, so yeah, so that should be exciting. And later talking to some more writers and just plotting some stuff out. So yeah. Yeah. I heard somebody yesterday, I think I was in a room on clubhouse with some executives and as I was actually my producing partner and I, we did a a, set, a webinar for stage 32 specifically about networking and the apps to use. And we talked about clubhouse and Instagram and Twitter and, and some success stories of, and just kind of talked for an, actually an hour and 15 minutes. And then we did a 15 minute Q and a, so I had hopped onto clubhouse to go take a screenshot to put in my deck. And as I was there, it was a room about, you know, executives and, and they were talking about the democracy. I probably can't even say it right. The, like, the democrat the you know democratization da, 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 yeah, yeah that difficult. the democratization of the industry and really how the walls are down and it's never been a better time especially with the influencers on TikTok and some of the just real creative stuff that's coming out of the creator world people are paying attention brands are paying attention studios are paying attention which means it's all good for us the better, the better for us. Um, yeah, we need a break. Because, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's almost like the world needed this break in a crazy way, like as horrible as it has been for all of the obvious reasons that we don't need to state creatively, it's opened up some opportunities in a weird way, right? It's given us the time. I have so many people that have done, been on the stage 32 uh, pitch sessions. It's been, well, I was home, I got laid off and I actually had time to write for the first time in 20 years. So I banged out a couple scripts and, and, and these scripts that are coming out of these people are good. They're really good. So how sad is that, that they were, you know, going through life, going to their miserable job or whatever that they, and, and they had this gem inside of them just waiting to come out. So that's been pretty cool to be able to just meet people. I always start off when I do consultations, not the scripts, I mean the pitches, because they're only 10 minutes long. And of course, by the first pitch, I'm already running late. Um, but the ones that I do an hour long, I always ask them like, what's your story? Like, what, what did you, you know, where did you grow up? Are you married? Do you have kids? And, and I get kind of a sense of what their background is. How did they get here? Where did the story come from? Where did the inspiration for your story? And so many people their stories are their stories, like inspired by their mother, their sister, themselves, and just so much inspiration and people just getting creative and using the time to their advantage, which that's been, I don't know if it's been like that before, because I've never seen such good scripts. Yeah, who knows, we might be able to look forward to a raft of more authentic scripts. Because it's those scripts that come from your own life, people you're close to. They're the ones that ring true to us, don't you think? Yeah, that's why I've had such a hard time saying no, because, and s some of the people are so passionate, so passionate in their pitches. You know, like I hop on a Zoom with them and I'm looking at them and, I, and I, I think I have a unique perspective because I'm also a producer and I've been on the other side and I've been waiting for that email to come through that never came through and they didn't even like take the time to read my script or circle back or say anything. And I hate that. So I try, I almost, I literally try to answer every email, even if it's just a, 
hey, thanks for reaching out. No, I'm not accepting any more clients because <laughs> I'm up till midnight every night just trying to keep up. Um, but I, I try to give and, and receive. So I'm always mentoring people, you know, sometimes to a disservice of myself because all of a sudden I'll look at my calendar and I'll have like back to back, oh, just touch base. Oh, sure, I'll tell you about your headshots. And because I meet people on Clubhouse and and I can't say no because I, I want to help people because I feel like the more people I help, then the others will help me and I give and come back and it'll all be <laughs> one big happy family. Um, but then sometimes my calendar is just, I can't get any work done. So then you have to start to protect it a little bit more. But yeah, I've met some amazing people, people like you, like, you know, just look at how we met through LinkedIn and you just never know who's watching you, who's going to be that person to connect. And it's all just kind of magical. And I look back at all the people I've met along the way. There's most of them minus the director. Um, I could call them now and they would, you know, they would help me. And I have some real cheerleaders and it's, it's awesome. Oh, the other thing the executive said that I quickly added into my deck yesterday was this is a business of relationships. Yeah. It's yeah. not a business. It's not an entertainment business. It's a relationship business. And don't be fooled because everything that gets done or happened or greenlit or meeting, it's all relationships. Just like this, this meeting today came out of a relationship that my client had with somebody he uh worked at a he worked at a restaurant and he was basically this person's like regular waiter that's how this happened because of a personal relationship oh well hey what are you working on it's it, just talk what are you working on oh i didn't know you did that oh you're a writer oh you wrote a children's book that's cool so it it, it can happen anywhere that's where it starts yeah that's what drives it too yes well, Chris, I should let you go. You've got lots to do today. Thanks so much for talking to me. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again. I definitely want to read some of your scripts and see if they fit into what we're working on. Um, Sounds good, yeah. I think that would be fun. So, awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. And uh, we'll talk soon. Chris Lucas, just before you go, if you haven't done so yet, please hit the subscribe button and check out my Patreon page at patreon.com penrakes podcasts. Thanks very much. Take care.